The Daily 202's Big Idea is sponsored by Delta Airlines. Delta has partnered with 55 academic institutions to create a pipeline of the next generation of pilots and technicians. Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Monday, December 3rd. In today's news, George H.W. Bush will lie in state at the U.S. Capitol beginning tonight. Jim Comey cuts a deal with Republicans to appear before the House Judiciary Committee. And Democrats worry about low energy ahead of two runoff elections in Georgia tomorrow. But first, the big idea. Despite a pause in President Trump's trade war with China, there will be long-term repercussions in relations between Beijing and Washington. Over dinner with Xi Jinping following the Group of 20 summit in Buenos Aires on Saturday, Trump agreed to cancel a planned January 1st tariff increase in return for increased Chinese purchases of American farm and industrial goods. The two sides will also commence talks about structural changes in Chinese practices, including forced technology transfers, trade secrets theft, and non-tariff barriers. The goal is to secure an agreement in 90 days. Essentially, it was an agreement to try to reach an agreement. But almost a year of heated U.S. rhetoric, escalating tariffs, and tighter investments and exports controls have shaken Chinese government officials and global business executives. As repeated tariff salvos prompt companies to rethink their reliance upon Chinese factories, Beijing is stepping up efforts to wean itself from what it sees as an unpredictable American partner. The latest development? Trump said in a late Sunday night tweet that China has agreed to cut tariffs on American cars, but Chinese officials won't say whether or not that's true. The spokesman for the foreign ministry in Beijing declines to comment. Bigger picture, Trump's performance at the G20 suggests that he wants to scale back his international agenda as he faces mounting domestic crises. Besides the deal with Xi, Trump avoided having one-on-one meetings with Russian President Vladimir Putin and Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. One upcoming fight, though, that will have domestic implications is whether or not Congress is going to pass Trump's renegotiated trade deal with Canada and Mexico. He formally signed it while at the summit, but it now must pass through both the House and the Senate. Lawmakers have a lot of concerns on the left and the right, but Trump said this weekend that if they don't move his new deal, he'll cancel NAFTA altogether, something none of them want. It's a hardball negotiating strategy, and it appeared on Sunday that it won't work. Senator Sherrod Brown, the Democrat from Ohio who just got reelected and is considering a run for president, said he won't support the New Deal as it stands because it doesn't live up to the president's promises to help workers and slow outsourcing. He called the president's threat not particularly helpful. Senator Pat Toomey, a Republican from Pennsylvania, meanwhile said he'll oppose the deal barring significant revisions that he outlined in an op-ed. This is something to keep an eye on. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, George H.W. Bush will lie in state at the Capitol beginning tonight until his funeral Wednesday at the National Cathedral. He'll be in the rotunda from Monday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern until Wednesday at 8.45 a.m. Eastern when his casket will be transported by motorcade. A state funeral will be held at 11 a.m. Eastern. Trump has ordered federal offices closed on Wednesday for a national day of mourning. He'll attend the funeral with the First Lady, but he will not speak. Bush will then be buried in Texas at the site of his presidential library, near his wife and their daughter Robin, who died of leukemia at age three. Tributes continue to pour in for the 41st president, who died late Friday at the age of 94. Barack Obama, Bill Clinton, and George W. Bush paid tribute during 
appearances on CBS's 60 Minutes Sunday. Asked what his father had told him when he became president, the younger Bush responded with the same words the two exchanged shortly before his dad's death. I love you. The younger Bush predicted that his father will be remembered as, quote, the greatest one-term president ever, pointing to his foreign policy, such as the deft handling of the end of the Cold War. Barack Obama also praised Bush Sr. on foreign policy. And Clinton, who defeated him in 1992, read aloud from a very classy note that Bush left in the Oval Office during the transfer of power. Bush wrote, your success now is our country's success, and said he was rooting hard for Clinton to succeed. The reflections on Bush's life have led many to contrast the late president's legacy and Trump's behavior as commander-in-chief. In death, presidents are measured not only by their accomplishments, but by what their tenure says about sitting presidents. In this case, the contrast is stark. Bush was America's last war hero president, whose life was defined by service in Congress, the State Department, the CIA, and finally the White House. Born into an elite family, his father a senator from Connecticut, he soaked up the mores and customs of Washington from a young age. He preached compromise, modesty, and respect, if not reverence, for Washington's institutions and even its somewhat arcane policymaking processes. Trump's time in office, by contrast, has been defined by a war on virtually all of the norms and institutions that Bush held dear, especially the CIA. Number two, former FBI Director Jim Comey has reached a deal with Republicans on the House Judiciary Committee to appear for a deposition on Friday in exchange for being able to release the full transcript. Comey will appear voluntarily before the Judiciary Committee, which has agreed to withdraw a subpoena. In a three-paragraph joint filing in court on Sunday, Comey's lawyers withdrew his request for a federal judge to quash the subpoena. Republicans agreed that an FBI representative can be present to advise Comey during the interview to prevent him from disclosing sensitive information. After an initial hearing on the challenge Friday, a federal judge, Trevor McFadden, indicated that he was unlikely to grant Comey's motion. Both sides were due to return Monday before the judge. During Friday's session, a lawyer for the committee said Comey would be free to speak to reporters after his appearance and to release a transcript, something that's typically available within a day. Number three, Georgia will hold two runoff elections tomorrow for Secretary of State and Public Service Commissioner, but Democrats are worried about the relatively low level of energy surrounding the races. Days before the year's final competitive elections, the turnout machine was dramatically smaller than one that changed the state's electorate in the unsuccessful attempt to elect Stacey Abrams as the first African-American female governor in U.S. history. But even with Abrams's urging and the controversy surrounding the November 6th vote, formerly bustling campaign offices are seeing little traffic. The celebrities who flew in to campaign for Abrams have stayed home. The airwaves have largely been reconquered by local businesses, with only occasional election spots. The relatively low-key election worries Democrats because Georgia is ultimately a red state and Republican voters have a higher propensity to turn out there. And here's a wild stat to illustrate how much the makeup of congressional Republicans has changed with the midterms. A lot of the people who lost last month were relative moderates. That means, among other things, that the small group of elected Republicans who were willing to endorse the scientific consensus on climate change was decimated by the elections drowned out by Trump's unpopularity. The House Climate Solutions Caucus, founded in 2016 and once thought of as a catalyst for climate-friendly legislation, lost 24 of its 45 Republican members to retirement or electoral defeat this year. One of the people who lost was Carlos Curbelo, 
a Republican from Florida who co-founded the group two years ago. And that's The Daily 202 for Monday, December 3rd. Thanks for listening. I'm James Hellman. I'll talk to you tomorrow. The Washington Post has a new daily podcast, Post Reports, hosted by me, Martine Powers. Every weekday afternoon, we're bringing you stories about the state of the country, the world, and how we come to know the things we know. Get it now at WashingtonPost.com slash Post Reports.